James chapter five. I'm gonna start by reading verses one through three. It says, and a final word to you. Oh, <laughs> I forgot how mean James is. Okay, hold on, let me prepare myself. It's gonna come up behind me if you don't have a Bible. And a final word to you, arrogant rich. Take some lessons in lament. You'll need buckets for the tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. Your Louis, your Gucci stinks. I got Gucci shoes on right now. I got these as an, at an outlet in Italy. I promise they cost as much as your Converse. I promise. I'm starting to sweat up here. This is a Swiss, Swiss watch. These are only 50 bucks. Somebody gave it to me in Switzerland, though. Come on, y'all. Please, James. I started to sweat. When I got to Italy and I found out they have Gucci outlets, I was like, these are my people. For the cost of Chuck Taylors, I can have Gucci's finally. Don't judge me. Don't preachers and sneakers. If you're watching now, please, please let me just have my mom, please. <laughs> and a final word to you, arrogant rich. Now here's the key though. Nothing wrong with being rich. I want to say that. Don't you dare have a poverty mindset around me. It says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. The love of money. It's possible, you know, Solomon had a lot of wealth. It's David had a lot of wealth. I mean, Israel had a lot of wealth. It's not about money, it's about the love of money. And then this is what the adjective arrogant. So it's not about being rich, it's about are you arrogant rich? It says, take some lessons and lament. Your money is corrupt, your fine clothes stink, your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought that you were piling up wealth, but all you've done is piled up judgment. Okay, this is my commentary. You can follow along in my notes. When reading biblical judgments, never make the mistake of assuming that you're not the one being talked about. Wealth is a relative term. Oh, I could take you to the floodplain of Columbia where I've ministered at churches where every Sunday the water rises up above their ankles and the church takes their shoes and socks off. This is a real story and I have footage. And they do church in a floodplain. That's crazy. And so by that definition, you're rich. You know what I'm saying? I could take you to Roma villages in Ukraine where I've taken many of our team members before um, where they have no running water where, the, I mean, literally you would feel like you time warp back a couple hundred years. And so by that definition, you're, you're rich. So wealth is a relative term. And so whenever I read biblical judgments, I assume it's about me until it finishes its work on the inside of me. Does that help? Like, don't assume it's not about you. Assume it's about you and let it work. Even if, because when it says, when James says that, this corruption that you have, this love of money, it, it's like a cancer in your stomach. If you knew that you had just five cancer cells in your stomach, would you not want them gone? And so the, the, the problem is not having money, it's money having you. And so it's like, God, is there something in me? I told this story um, to our dream team earlier, but I went to the Apple store in Manhattan because I want a Vision Pro. Those, you know, the VR headsets, 
I think we're going to move our live stream over to the VR world or something. Well, actually, how it started is that there's a group of Gen Z that started putting my sermons and it makes me emotional, but they started putting my sermons in a virtual world and inviting all their friends. And I found out because they were tagging me in the, in the content online. And I was watching all these avatars, these crazy, weird, like alien looking, animal looking. And then there's me preaching. And I'm like, what in the world is this? What in the Wizard of Oz is going on? What in the Bushwick Brooklyn is this? <laughs> that's, that's a niche joke. And... Um, and, and it was these kids putting me in the VR world. So I was like, man, it'd be cool. I want to go in the VR world. I want to show up myself if, they're, if they already got my sermons in there. So I get there and, uh, you know, this thing costs like four grand and it's expensive. That's like the cost of a car for some people. And so all of a sudden, but it, for me, I was like, man, I could use this. It'd be a ministry tool, whatever. All of a sudden, these women come walking up in the Apple store and they say, Pastor Mike, um, I can't believe I'm seeing you here. It's a sign from God. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm just, it's an Apple store. I, I want the Vision Pro. And long story short, they were sharing with me that they were missionaries and they, they were like, can you pray for us? And it was moving me because, you know, just their heart before the Lord. And then all of a sudden this woman says, you know, I said, well, what can I pray for you? Because I was going down and praying for them. And she said, well, I need $4,000 um, because I'm a, I'm a missionary and, and I need to go to Nigeria and this. And it was the cost of the Vision Pro. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know what to do, son. Like you, you, the dollar amount was right, but the object was wrong. And so I looked at her and I said, how do I sow into your trip? And then I started weeping and she started weeping. Then she started saying, no, this is crazy. This is crazy. And then all the Apple store employees are like, this is crazy. <laughs> it's not about having money. It's about money having you. It really is, you are more blessed to give than you are to receive. And um, something about that. Let's keep going. All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you used and abused are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. <laughs> James just called the early church fat. <laughs> the people within the early church, not all of them, but the ones that are benefiting off of using workers and using people. And now here's what I love about James. All the workers that were in the congregation hearing this letter being read out loud were like, I love this guy. Because he was like getting their back. Does that make sense? He was getting their back. James is actually showing us his prophetic edge. This means that he's speaking into societal issues and he's rendering judgment. This reveals the governmental aspect of the kingdom. James has been authorized by God to administrate and execute judgment. Now keep that in mind. So in the body of Christ, there are people who are rendered with the authority to execute judgments, but you have to be designated by God specifically to do that. It doesn't mean you can't do it. The words are able to physically be released from your mouth. It just means there's a severe consequence for executing judgment outside of your uh, realm of authority to do so. Like, let me put it like this. If there's something going down in the streets outside of the venue right now, you could go out there and try to make a citizen's arrest. I just can't, I can't uh, guarantee you that it's gonna work out for you. <laughs> 
You know what I'm trying to say? Like you come outside of the jurisdiction of protection when you try to do a citizen's arrest and you, but nobody's marshaled you with a badge and a gun. And I also can't, can, I also can't justify what you're doing. And, and I can't prove that you did it with the right heart and it was a right move. So can you judge other people in this church? Yeah, absolutely. You can judge them. Can you judge me and other preachers and pastors? Absolutely you can. It's just when you go to make a citizen's arrest, I can't ensure that there's protection and provision from heaven for you doing that. Does this make sense? So it's a weird dichotomy because people will say, well, I'm supposed to you know, judge and discern these false preachers and pastors. And th that answer is half right. The other side of the equation is, but who designated you to do it? And you better be sure you got that side right. So even if you feel justified in your citizen's arrest, you're gambling with your own life if you do that wrong. So, I, okay, keep that in mind because that sets up the whole rest of the chapter. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. This is verse seven. You see farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow, uh, do, do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that, steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. So here's my commentary. James shifts audiences now from the arrogant rich. Now he shifts the audience to talking to his friends. And he says, stay faithful and patient because you don't work for them, you work for him. Okay, do y'all hear what I'm saying? When you're a Christian, this is a very unpopular message, but it's needed. When you're a Christian, you don't work. As soon as you confess Christ as your savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, my savior, Messiah, I submit and surrender my life to you. As soon as you do that, even if your job, your vocation doesn't change, who you work for immediately changed. Because this is an understanding of spiritual authority. All authority is allowed by God. So that even evil rulers are allowed by God to play a part in his sovereign will. So that means that when you're at your job and, and, and you're not working to the best of your ability, you, you actually are doing two things. You are diminishing and decreasing the witness of Jesus Christ as a Christian. And that's a really fancy way of saying you're making us all look bad. So Christians on the workforce should be salt and light where they work. They, it should be like, man, I don't even agree with those Christians in their personal belief system, but man, I love, I, I wanna hire more Christians. And then when they ask themselves, why do these Christians work so hard? The, the response that we have is because I'm actually not working for you, I'm doing everything unto him. That's how you get a Joseph. That's how you get a Daniel. That's how you, this is helping you understand. So Christians in the workforce, should be the elite, the best. They, I'm telling you, and I won't go on with that. So what he's saying is, there's a delegation of authority. He's speaking to the realm of authority. Friends, don't complain about each other. This is verse nine. A far greater co complaint could be lodged against you, you know. The judge is standing just around the corner. So this is what verse nine says. It says, while you're over there having your private conversation, judging each other. Now hold this in mind. I'm going somewhere and you're judging each other. 
the, the, the true judge, and he uses different language in Greek to explain. So it's capital J, the big judge, the real judge. So there's a little J and there's a capital J. There's a little G and there's a big G. You know what I'm saying? So in other words, it's saying like, hey, you go around there acting like you're a judge, but the judge is right around the corner. And, and he, he, it's like he's coming, he's on his way, but he's close enough to hear what you're saying. And, and, and so in the courtroom of heaven, everything you say can and will be used against you. So the judge is here. So, and here's the, the problem with you judging someone else is that there are things in your life that actually merit a greater judgment. So now what he's saying, James is trying to help them understand, there will be a double judgment upon you because you already had a judgment for the thing that needed to be dealt with, but now you're judging someone else, which is also not explicitly uh, commanded by God, which means you're being judged for being a judge and you're being judged for the thing that you thought you were gonna hide from the judge. This is all happening. So here's the good news. If you've ever been to a church where people talk about each other, church has always been that way. <laughs> don't think that you're ever gonna attend a church where people don't talk about each other. And the reason why we have the book of James is because it was happening in the beginning and it's happening now in this era. So now what we must do, if the problem's the same, the solution is the same. Can I get an amen? So the problem is human nature. But the solution is an apostolic leader in authority telling you how you ought to act and then you coming into alignment with that explicit instruction. So this is what he's saying. Don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint can be lodged against you. You know, the judge is just standing around the corner. So let me read what the commentary I, I had. And all this commentary is original. This is just me meditating on the word and then as a church trying to give you what I feel like the Lord's saying. It's not that you don't have anything to say in judgment. It's that you, you want to avoid the consequence of the judge judging you. James is also emphasizing that doing the work assigned to you is more important than assuming your work is judgment. Okay, let me back up, back up. <laughs> Here is the judge around the corner. His job is to judge. The judge is God. There's two people, there's you and somebody else and you're judging them. There's somebody over here judging them or whatever, right? So here's the thing. The judge is gonna come to do his job. So, but, but the language that James gives us is the judge is on his way. Meaning judgment hasn't come yet. But just because judgment hasn't come doesn't mean it's not coming. So then somebody over here is like, well, I don't know where the judge is, so I'm just gonna go ahead and do the job. But, the, but James says the judge is around the corner. So just because judgment hasn't come doesn't mean it's not coming. But then at the same time, if you do the job of judging, that means you can't possibly be doing the job you were supposed to be doing. What's your job? Your job is to seek and save the lost. Your job is to set up the coffee section. Your job is to greet. Your job is to attend the connect group and then become a leader and facilitate Bible study under accountability of our house. That's your job. Your job is to encourage people prophetically. Y'all, you know we're raising up hundreds of prophets right now. Your job is exhortation and encouragement and that basic level of prophetic uh, insight that you give people. That's all your job. But it's impossible to do all of that and judge at the same time. 
Because in order to expend the energy of judging, you have to stop encouraging, prophesying, building, seeking, saving. You cannot do both. And you have to stop doing the, the thing you've been explicitly commanded to do the thing that you were never commanded to do. And the judge is coming. So what I love is in certain situations when you know, because some of you are thinking right now, Pastor Mike, but I know they're doing wrong. What do I do? Trust that the judge is coming around the corner. And okay, let me talk about this in terms of parents. Have you ever known that your sibling was doing something bad? And you just know, you, I'm not gonna tell on you, but you're about to get caught. Uh, you know what I'm, anybody here with families and you had siblings and it's like, listen, I'm not, listen, I'm not the parent, but all I know is when mom sees what you did, you are going to get broken. You know that moment? And then, hey, 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 let's, let's be really carnal right now. You know that feeling you get and I say, I can't wait till it happens. I'm the oldest man, and there were some times where I, I couldn't wait for my siblings to get in trouble. I'm like, you know what you did? I know what you did. God knows what you did. But when mom finds out what you did, she's going to do worse than God. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? What if you just sat with the patience of God is my defender. God is going to make all things that are not right, right. And when that judge comes around the corner, that's between you and him. I'm, I'm going to stay doing my job. And while I do my job, I'm going to trust that justice delayed is not justice denied. All right. Verse 12. And since you know that he cares, let your language show it. <laughs> Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry God up. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. Okay, verse 13. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Okay, now let me, before I read the rest of this verse, I'm gonna start breaking it down. What he's doing right now is he's doing like a call and response. It's like, these are the basics. Hey, are you hurting? Yes, what do we all know to do in the church of Jerusalem when we're hurting? We pray. Uh, do you feel great? What do we do when we feel great? We sing, we, we turn that into praise and adoration to God. Now he's going a step deep, deeper. Are you sick? What do we do when we're sick? Nobody has the answer. And this is why he gives the answer. Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. I think James was being sassy with this one. This is a, this is a stealth level blow because what, he's, what I assume based on the context is that everybody in the church in Jerusalem and the churches of Asia Minor that were sort of the audience of this letter were probably getting so autonomous. Because remember, you interpret the Bible with the Bible. You, it cross-references itself. And so just chapters before this, he was saying, hey, don't be quick to be a teacher. You all remember that? Don't be quick to be a teacher. So we, we kind of see James trying to deal with this. When I say autonomy, what I mean is it's James' attempt to um, help them understand God wants you to be a leader, but there's a process to becoming a leader. Don't designate yourself. Allow the Lord to raise you up. 
So now taking that context that we know and applying it to this, what seems likely is that everybody was usurping the church leadership and trying to do it all themselves and marshalling themselves. So when he said, hey, are you sick? You know what to do when you're sick? Go to the leaders of the church. Why is that important? I think it's important because we need to bring back and install this protocol that when you're sick, you find the elders of the church and they anoint you with oil and they lay hands on you. Let me tell you why that's important. And James is doing something very deep and I wanna entrust our church with this information. It could almost sound like James is contradicting his half-brother Jesus because Jesus said, I've given you all authority over sickness. You know, you know the scripture? Mark 16, 17, you'll cast out demons, you'll heal the sick, you'll raise the dead. So now he's saying, but wait a second. Now James is saying, if you're sick, go to the leaders of the church. But I thought we didn't have to go to a leader. I thought we could all do this. So now the Bible has a seeming contradiction. How do we deal with that? We put it in proper context. What James is trying to help them understand is even though he's given God, even though God has given through Jesus Christ an authority to all believers, he's given a designation of position that carries a greater glory. It carries a greater anointing. And what he's trying to point to is Jesus Christ empowering all believers to pray for the sick did not usurp eldership and leaders of the church praying for the sick. In other words, of course you should pray for each other, but there is a special grace when you come into the church and allow the elders to pray for you. And the reason why I think it's important to say that, especially in this generation, is because one of the hallmarks of our generation is rebellion. The spirit of lawlessness is in the earth right now. There's a rebellion. And so I believe it's very similar to the rebellion that was in the first century church that James was trying to speak to you. And he was edifying and he was encouraging the leadership. And he was saying, hey, they have a grace. They have an anointing. Let them bring oil and pray for you and God will do something. And it says, call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven inside and out. So James saw, this is the commentary. James saw supernatural healing as being distributed through the leaders of the church. Again, James understands the importance of structure. Power is released through those who have been given authority in that dynamic. Okay, we're almost done. Verse 16, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live to together whole and healed. So now there's another kind of healing. And he was saying, if you wanna experience that healing, I want you to confess your sins one to another. That would be you going to the person next to you and be like, hey, can I tell you what I did the other day? Think about that. And then he says, this prayer of a person living, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. So now, I won't open a Pandora's box right now, but there are some people who believe that your prayers can't be hindered. James is proving they can. I'm going to read it to you because this is the Bible, not my opinion. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. 
Elijah, for instance, human, just like us, prayed hard that it would rain and it didn't, not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and everything started growing again. There's a parallel being made between getting in right standings with each other and then the same kind of grace and favor that came upon Elijah to release rain upon God's people. So if you wanna hinder your prayers, have enmity between you and other people. If you wanna block your prayers and hinder them, and I think this is important to teach this way. You know, as a matter of fact, there's another scripture that says, how can you ask Jesus for forgiveness if you have aught against your brother? So you can hinder your prayers. And the parallel is to a Jewish audience, primarily at this point, obviously the Gentiles were being brought into the the local church as well. He was basically saying, hey, you know, Elijah, your hero, you know that story you heard your whole life about how rain didn't come and then he kept praying and then finally rain came. If you want a miracle of that magnitude, then confess your sins one to another, get in right standing with each other and the rain will be released. That's powerful. Now, why is that important? Now, well, let me, the judge is coming around the corner. Now imagine over there, there's the congregation. They're talking about each other, grumbling, grumbling, complaining, questioning every decision their leaders make. This is what the early church was like. And the judge is coming around the corner. What James is saying is, if you have any question in your mind, what should I be doing? What should I be found doing when he gets here? be found confessing your sins to one another. Now, isn't it the truth that we do the exact opposite? We confess the sins of other people to other people. See, this is a perversion of how to use the tongue, which James just talked about in the previous chapter. We don't use our words to confess other people's sin or, and I put this in, the, in my, my, my commentary, our perceived, perceived version of what we think is their mistake or sin. Because sometimes they haven't even done nothing wrong. You just perceived it as wrong. And we spend our time. So if you want to be found by the master, he's coming around the corner. And when he shows up, if you want to be found doing anything, do what he explicitly told you to do. Seek and save the lost. Pray for people, encourage one another. But if you are going to be exposing anybody, expose yourself. Be found exposing yourself. Now watch, let me explain it to you. Let's go back to the sibling analogy. Imagine you've watched your sibling do something wrong. You're like, ooh, when dad gets home, you're getting it, right? Now imagine dad comes around the corner and dad all of a sudden hears the conversation. And here's the conversation. I can't believe I did it. As soon as I did it, I knew it was wrong. I, I had to tell you, I'm just telling you, when, when dad finds out it was me, I'm owning it, I did it. I just can't believe I did it. I wish I didn't did it, do it. I don't wanna do it again. And dad hears that. What happens? There's grace, there's grace. But then now imagine dad coming around the corner knowing that the child did something wrong and the child's just like, oh yeah, did you hear what the brother did? All self-righteous. Yeah, they never get it right. They don't know what they're doing. They're making the wrong choice. And the dad's like, I'm literally coming around the corner. I know everything you did wrong. How dare you act like you're better than somebody else? 
Do you see this? And this is why as a church, I've always taken such a hard stance against the people who attend the local church who think it's their job to make everything right who think it's their job to figure out what everybody's doing wrong and how they're the hero. You're not the hero. You're another child with their own stuff you're doing wrong. And if you're gonna be caught by the master, be caught telling on yourself, not telling on everybody else. So when you're interacting with somebody, ask yourself, are they telling on themselves or are they telling on everybody else? Because if they're telling on everybody else, it's an indicator that there's a double judgment that could possibly come to them. I wanna be found in humility. I wanna, I wanna be found in humility. It's this biblical protocol. The true nature of your relationship to one another in the church is revealed here. It is to confess your sins to one another. How often do we use our relationship to discuss the perceived shortcomings of leaders and how rarely do we use our relationship in the church to confess our own real sin to each other? Let me read this. This is the last, last verse of this chapter five. My dear friends, would you all just stand to your feet with me for the reading of this last portion? I just feel the peace of God on our house. Today has been different. I feel the peace of God. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. Of course, we have the power. Y'all know I'll speak in tongues, cast out demons. We'll bring up six flag wavers. You know I'll do it. I'll dance. I'm known as a dancing pastor. But there's Sundays like this where you feel the peace of God because God's setting something right. Because there's a lot of people waving flags and judgment's still coming. There's a lot of people casting out demons, doing stuff, judgment's coming. I wanna be a house when they see our house and they see the people of our house, there's a level of humility that's an aroma before God that attracts His glory and His presence. Let me read this last one and we're just gonna pray together. Verse 19 and 20, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off, go after them get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevent an epidemic of wandering away from God. I'm gonna read you this commentary. I'm gonna preach it. And then we're gonna pray for some people who wandered off right now. Here's the commentary the Lord gave me. By going after the few that have wandered off, you prevent an epidemic of many others wandering off. Sometimes you can't stop them, but you can divinely sow the seeds that cause them to come back. Let, let me just tell you like this. There's a great falling away that's happening. And the falling away is not them going to clubs and bars the falling away is them going apostate, going heretical, going to false beliefs, going to things outside of orthodoxy, outside the word of God. And there's times where people are seduced by seducing spirits. They're seduced by spirits that try to promote them before God would promote them. Give them titles before God would give them titles. Give them influence before God would give them influence. There's a seducing, there's a drawing away. And the Bible says, if there's anybody that's been in error and they leave, go after them. So here's what I wanna do as a church. It's gonna be a different kind of Sunday. I want us to pray right now for those who have wandered away. Because those who have wandered away, they matter to God. 
They matter to God. Some of them have gone back into sin, but some of them have gone into a deception and heard things the wrong way and received them the wrong way. But we're gonna, as a church, cross every location right now, we're gonna pray that God is gonna draw those who have wandered off back. And as soon as I said it, how many of you wave at me at every location if a name or a face immediately appeared to you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is gonna be a powerful moment because we are literally gonna pray for them right now. We're not gonna judge them. We're not gonna be harsh and mean, but we're gonna say, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna pray that God brings them back. Now, I'm not even talking to V1 Church, by the way. This is not, this is not selfish. I'm, I'm saying bring them back to Jesus. Bring them back to the truth. Bring them back to freedom, amen? Wherever that is, because this is what James said. Now watch the wisdom of it though. By going after a few, and, and trying to bring them back to Jesus, bring them back. What happens is you stop an epidemic. Why? Because wandering is a virus. And when one person wanders, another person wants to wander and another person. One of the favorite lessons that Pastor Josh Hamster ever taught me, and I'll never forget this lesson. It was a lesson about shepherding. Before he was a pastor of our church, Josh Hamster was uh, a board member of this church. And I remember when somebody had wandered away, somebody, and I was heartbroken. And I said, well, how do I deal with this, Josh? And you know, he said, he said, Mike, do you, do you ever see that famous picture of Jesus, the shepherd, and the lamb is over his neck? Have you guys ever seen that? And he's holding the lamb like that. He's like, I talked to a shepherd once, a real shepherd, and that picture was so ironic because all of us in Western society, we view that picture as like such a loving picture of compassion. Look, he put that lamb up on his shoulders. But do you know what shepherds used to do sometimes in ancient times? When a sheep would continually run away, go up after that sheep, break their legs, throw them over their shoulder and say, this is the consequence for running away. And I'm gonna carry you on my back until you get used to being in my presence and you remember the pain that you encountered by walking away. So when your legs heal, you never go back into that pit again. And let me just tell you, sometimes God will exchange a lesser pain for a greater pain. What does that mean? The pain of getting caught by a, by a lion is much greater than the pain of breaking your legs. And so sometimes you think something else is out there. People leave the church. They leave the fold. They leave leadership. They, they, they leave the covering of their campus pastors and their leaders. And they think there's something out there. And every once in a while, we got to break their legs and throw them over our shoulder and say, listen to me, there is no protection out there. You don't, there's a greater pain waiting for you out there because there's one that wants to consume you prowling like a lion. And so I'm willing to break and snap some legs. Come on, let's do a visual right now. Who wants to volunteer? Come on, any volunteers? You? You? You don't even know what to do. <laughs> the reason why I'm laughing is because sometimes people say, oh no, there's something better out there. Two, three, four, five years later, the thing that they pursued ended up destroying them or the ministry folds up or the people they thought had their back literally knife them in their back. They realized that they, they were just being used or they go back into the world. They end up in a worse condition. The Bible says that when spirits are cast out, they go roaming around arid places and then they come back finding everything swept 
and they want back in their home and then in, the person is in seven times worse a condition than when it started. There's times where people go back and they end up seven times worse. I say, let's break their legs and bring them home. I say, let's snap their legs in the spirit realm. We don't need any vigilantes out there, but we just tell them, come on, there's nothing out there. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to sit on the throne of filth in a palace I made for myself. I'd rather be in the seat worshiping God than be on the stage that God did not give me. I want to be in his will. I'd rather be found telling on myself than telling on other people when the judge comes around the corner. I want to be in right standing with God. I want to humble myself under his mighty hand and in due season he will lift me up and I trust his authority in my life. Come on, if you're with me across every location, lift your hands. I feel breakthrough in this place. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I surrender. I submit to your will in your way. I choose to use my words, my mouth to confess, to reconcile, to heal. Now say this, Father, we call forth all those who have wandered off. Bring them home to your presence. We call them forth by the Spirit in Jesus' name. Come on, someone shout amen. Come on, makes me want to shout. Come on, sing this one more time. 